Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Everyone feeling rested, refreshed, ready to go? I am. And um, as part of this year, I don't know if you guys, some of you guys might know, but our theme for this year is Beyond Zero. And Beyond Zero is something that Beck and I are getting more and more passionate about. You know, it's a word from God when the first time you hear it, it's like, yeah, that's okay. And then a a week later, it's like, that's actually really good. And then like three weeks later, it's like, this is the bomb. And I think when it comes to Beyond Zero, sorry, I've got a mint in my mouth. I literally put it in just before and I'm like, what am I doing with this? (laughs) I'm just sitting in there trying to chew it. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, recording. But Beyond Zero means a lot to Beck and myself. I think one of the key things that is emerging in the life of our church is that we're not ready for, um, to settle. And we don't ever, ever want a person to settle. If there's something that I feel really deeply about in the work that we do as a church is that we want people to get better as time goes on. Like wine, aging in an amazing barrel of Lift Church. You just get better and better. You just get infused with all that goodness. All you winos are like, yeah, wine. (laughs) But I think with Beyond Zero, for those who don't understand what this phrase means, for us it means that this year we are wanting to go beyond whatever baseline that you're getting sick of in your life. And maybe not just being sick of, but God might be highlighting for you things in your life, areas in your life that is just not good enough. Not in the sense that you're a broken, lame person, but in the sense that you've got so much more to give. You've got so much in your life that is good and amazing. God has placed it there, and He wants to see it grow. I want to see it grow. And Lift is never about Beck and myself having the limelight and, 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 and doing all this stuff. It's all about people being able to be activated to do the things that God has given you to do. I, I, I am a sincere believer that what I'm doing here is ministry. I'm ministering to you guys, but I believe that each one of you has got uh, ministry that God is wanting to use what I'm doing to equip and to get you ready for whatever else that God has in your life. And so really, I'm pre-ministry. What I'm doing here today is pre-ministry. What you're doing the moment you step foot out of this door, out of those doors, is ministry to your families, to your friends. And I'm believing that as you go beyond zero this year, the impact that God is able to bring about in your life is just going to increase, is just going to multiply. And we are getting ready uh, uh, for a fruitful year. And with that, we thought that it would be really cool to do a fun, practical series to start the year off. Uh, we've called it No Regrets. And if you've seen any of uh, the promos that we put up, No Regrets, yeah? You, you know, it's like that guy that just gets this amazing tattoo in the most prominent part of his body, and it spells No Regrets, yeah? Have you seen it? Like, like that guy over there, not, not the parents stuff, but that guy, No Regrets. And um, that I, I recognize that this is a very tricky situation for that man because if he changes the tattoo, it says that he has regrets. 
and it means that his tattoo is irrelevant. Yeah? But if he goes on in life with that tattoo, it means that he's got no regrets, whatever that means. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've made decisions that you totally regret. For me, my kryptonite is going to the atrium. You guys know the atrium? You know buffet, crown, just around the corner. I love the atrium because they have got a such a great variety. They've got the cold section with your seafood, and then you've got like this Asian section, and, and then you've got like um, the Western roasts and all that kind of gear. And um, some of you guys are already like tuning out right now. And then you've got salads that is just there because they need color. You know, no one ever eats those salads. It's just to break up the brown. You know what I mean? Good food always looks brown. Who's with me? Some people are just like hating on me right now. But I go to Atrium, and this is my system. My, my system, I get a first plate, and I just take a little bit of the stuff that I, uh, in, in one section and maybe touch another section, and it's just a taster plate. You, you don't load up your first plate. You don't, you don't, you don't, be, don't, don't be dumb because you don't know how the chef was going that day. Maybe the chef in the Asian corner, they, they ran out of people and they got this white boy over there. It's like, oh, white boy, my curry is not good. No, I'm going to go to roast today. And uh, so you load up your first plate, you, you chow it down. It's like, you take note. You always have to take notes. Like, I like that one. Like that, that one was okay. That's, that's like kind of a little bit lower on the list. And then for me, because the atrium is massive, I need a second taste of plate. Yeah? So I go fill up the rest of the areas that I haven't touched yet. And so I have a second taste of plate. It's only after the second taste of plate that I have mains. You guys know what I mean? Yeah. It is. The guy's like, yeah. The girl's like, what is wrong with that fella? Well, it's a buffet. I have literally starved myself for one day. Not more than one day, though. You need to know this. If you starve yourself for like two days, your stomach starts to shrink already. And you go to this buffet, it's a bad er error. But one day, I've starved myself a day so that I can fill myself up. And uh, so I have the mains. And the mains are, are like my top five things that I tasted the first two plates. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> and so you have your, the, the best of the best. And then you're sitting there, you're pretty happy. This is where it gets tricky for me because after that, I look at the dessert bar. And I know that lots of you guys are like mains people all the way through. I'm an equalitarian. <laughs> mains are important, and so is dessert. Maybe not as much. I, I do prefer my mains, but still, dessert needs to have a good go. And the thing about the atrium is that every dessert looks like it is made in heaven. And you know, they, they put on colors there, it's amazing. And um, of course, it's all free, so you have to get some. And so I go to dessert, and I, by now I know I'm full. I'm already full. And so I just pick a few things. I'm like two, three things, load up my plate. Not load up, but fill my plate with a few little things, and go to the table. But one thing I've noticed about buffets is that they're really clever. The desserts, each one of those desserts is like a meal of itself. They pack so much richness into that. They've gone to heaven, grab a bucket, and made each one so that when you eat that, that's enough for a whole meal. So I've taken two bites, and I've reached the point of regret. <laughs> because I've still got about 20 bites left, by my estimation. But 
So if I wimp out, it's, it's not a good look. I paid all this money to have food on my plate and not on my belly. That's not a good look. And, and normally, I don't go to atrium by myself. I, I, I have friends. I have family. And so we go to atrium together and say, oh, man, I don't want to look like that guy. Everyone knows that guy. And, and you, when you grow up in Asian culture, they say that if you leave a grain of rice, you're going to have a pimple the next day. That's, if you never knew that, that's what... My mom never, my mom was more Western than that, but, but you know, we, we have this rule that if you leave anything behind, you're going to get pimples the next day, it's karma, whatever it is. And so I, I don't want to leave the food there, but I know that if I eat that all, I'm stuffed. And so I always choose the second option. And then I regret it for two days after that. And it's a terrible place because I know that I shouldn't have done that. And I made a bad decision. But how many of you guys know that bad buffet decisions last a couple of days, maybe, tops, hopefully? But there are other decisions in your life that are going to impact your life for years. Maybe for the rest of your life. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely made errors, make mistakes, make decisions that I really regret. And that's what the series is about. Over the next few weeks, we want to bring a series that helps you make better decisions. We want you to live 2018 with no regrets. We want you to live 2018 at the end of it and say, I maximize my time over this year. And so we want to give you tools to make better decisions. And over the course of this series, we'll be focusing in particular on a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, and it will be a good idea for you to mark that in your Bible because you'll be coming back to this parable um, for the rest of this month. And we'll be starting in verse 14. I'm going to be reading a chunk of Bible, but it's a story, so it's fun. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag. Now, in some translations, instead of bag of money, it says talents. So five talents, three talents, uh, sorry, two talents and one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Note his master's uh, response. It says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Master's happy. The man with two bags of gold also came. Same thing happened. And then finally in verse 24, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went and hit your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take this bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many of you recognize that the third servant really regretted his decision? You know, it's pretty clear uh, that he, he's going to live with a pretty terrible sense of regret. And this is a parable, which means it's a story that Jesus told, and the stories that Jesus tell have got a meaning behind it has got truths for us to hold. And in particular, in this series of parables that Jesus was telling, he was talking about the kingdom of God. He was talking about the culture of heaven, the culture that God has intended for each and every one of us to live in. And so we can understand from that that God has actually entrusted each and every one of us with a gift he has entrusted us with something that we are meant to steward. And two of those servants, uh, taking good care of what they were entrusted with, actually managed to grow what God had given to them. But the third servant had even what was given to him taken away because he was not a good steward. And we need to learn from this because uh, over the next four weeks, we are focusing on this because we can learn so much about decision-making. We can learn so much about how we are meant to live from that third servant, from the one-talent man. I'm going to call him one-talent man from now on. So just keep that in mind. When I say one-talent man is a third servant who did nothing with what he was given. And over the next four weeks, each week, we will unpack a certain tool that you can put in your tool chest when you are about to make decisions in your life. And let me tell you, decision-making happens every day. It doesn't just happen uh, when um, once a week. It doesn't happen once a month or once a year. It happens every single day, decisions that we need to make. And so we need to make sure that we have good tools that are available to us that we can reach for when we need them, which is daily. The first tool we want to leave with you is this, step out of isolation. Write this down, step out of isolation. This is really important. And normally when we read this parable, I love this parable. I heard it preached about many times. I preached about it many times before. And I think a lot of people focus on the fact that this servant had a bad perspective of his master, which led him to do things that he would regret. But when I was reading it this time around, something stood out to me. This man was surrounded by success stories.
with two other folk that were doing flipping amazing stuff. And this guy failed terribly next to two success stories. In fact, I think that those two guys should have written books. I think they would be New York Times bestsellers. One of them would be from seven to success. The other one would be from minion to millions. Can you see it? New York Times bestseller. If you ever need a title for your book, come to me. I'm going to help you out. And so you have failure, success, success. Why didn't he talk to those guys? Why wasn't there any interaction that would help him take his talent out of the ground and for him to do something with it? What was going on? But I recognize that for many of us, when we read this story, we don't recognize this success and failure type paradigm. We probably, this is how I used to see it many times, I saw it as overachievers and normal dude. Two guys who were flipping overachieving. They were doing things that other people weren't able to do. They just had it all together. They managed to do something that was uh, on the other side of the bell curve, if you know what I mean. And, and, and you have this guy that is right smack bang in the middle that is like, man, this is difficult. Doubling an, a, an investment is so difficult. And so maybe not losing it is pretty good in and of itself. Not losing his master's investment, that's the safe option. How many people here are safe people? Awesome. I'm a safe person. I do not like risks. I do not like it at all. I, was, I can identify with this third servant because I'm probably like, you're giving me this, what do I do with it? Do I invest it in Bitcoin? Do I, how does this thing work? And I was like, this is just way beyond me. Maybe if I don't lose it, that, that should be enough. We have this potential way to look at it as the master was especially harsh on a normal person. And I reckon when we see it in that way, we get caught up in this sense that God is potentially looking for the time that you fail so that he can be so harsh with you, that he can just rip you to shreds, he can just chuck you out, and you end up in this life looking like you're trying to make things work, you're trying to ensure that you don't fail at all, and the more that you try not to fail, I don't know why it is this way, but the more I try not to fail, the more I fail. I learned piano for many years, and I love piano, but the more I stuff, like, when I, every now and then I would, like, stuff up a piece, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be more careful with that. But the more I try, the harder I try, the more I stuff it up. The more I, I'm tensed, I'm really scared of failing, and, and I can just see this guy going, why am I getting such harsh treatment from my master? And that was my perspective until I think God just dropped something in my heart, a, 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 a way to research this story and to understand it from a different perspective. And this new perspective opened things up for me. I want to share it with you this morning. You see, when we approach this story, we see the three servants. And the truth is, we could translate the word servant as slave. It's the same word in the Greek. These guys were three slaves. 
And when you think that these guys are slaves, what do you automatically think about? You think that they were taken against their will, yeah? They were taken for their master's benefit, not theirs, yeah? They were to serve someone else's will, not theirs. They were oppressed. Their rights were going to be removed from them. It was not a nice position to be in. None of us want to be slaves. And so when Jesus used this story and kind of shows us that God is like master and we are like slaves, I think there's an automatic reaction from each and every one of us. So I don't like this. I don't like the fact that God calls himself my master and I'm a slave. I've got no rights. I'm being oppressed here. And the honest truth is maybe the church hasn't always done it well because sometimes we portray God as that kind of master. But the truth is in Jewish custom, slavery was a completely different category. It was very, very different. The Jewish people would follow um, Mosaic law and Mosaic uh, culture um, in order to understand how to do a lot of life, and slavery was no different. And the thing in particular that I want you to note is that slaves in Jewish culture are nothing like slaves that we normally think about. Nothing like that. Completely different. In Let's, let's read one passage, and there are a whole bunch of passages that we could read, but one passage speaks into this, Leviticus 25, 35 to 37. It says this, If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger, so that they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. Now, what that kind of goes into is the fact that Israelites would borrow money from one another. And as they borrow money from one another, they're not allowed to take any interest from one another. So if I uh, loan you $100, I'm going to collect $100 at the appointed time. And what happened is that when a person borrowed a large sum of money and was unable to pay that money back, they were allowed to give themselves over into slavery to the person that they owed money to. Making sense so far? So that's the way that they did things. They didn't charge interest. They... Um, they, they allowed people to come into slavery, and it sounds like a really bad deal. I owe you money, I become your slave. Not good, hey. But you need to understand that slavery operated very differently in Jewish culture. For example, every seventh day, no matter whether you were slave or master, you would have the day off. It was called the Sabbath. No one was allowed to work. Even the slaves were not allowed to work. And, and there were a whole bunch of stipulations that protected the rights of the slave. They were allowed food, they were allowed shelter, you were not allowed to mistreat them, you were not allowed to beat them. If you even, uh, if your slave lost a finger, there were penalties that needed to be uh, paid and all that kind of stuff. Slaves were well protected according to the law. But here's the clincher. A slave would only be a slave for six years. At the seventh year, every single slave was to be let go completely all debt erased. 
So keep this in mind. If let's say I borrowed $5 million from a person to invest in Bitcoin and Bitcoin completely dies, which it's going to at some stage, and, um, and, and so I owe this guy $5 million. No interest, thank God, but $5 million. And I've got no business, no one wants to do business with me because I've just failed miserably, lost $5 million. What do I do? I've got no way to repay this guy. I give myself over to be a slave, serve for six years, and at the seventh year, $5 million wiped off. Wiped off. Completely taken off my, my, my account. I am completely free after six years of servitude. Every master that allowed that kind of slavery was taking a big loss in order to have someone that owed them money say, can I be your slave instead? I reckon that's the kind of slavery that Jesus was talking about. I reckon that's the kind of slavery that the audience in the, uh, that the Jewish audience would have been thinking about. Okay, those three servants, they're not just people uh, that this guy's gone around and, and put them under his thumb and made them into slaves. These were three guys who who have borrowed money from this rich master and were unable to pay their debts and now said, Master, I've got no way to pay the debt that I owe you, so can you please take me in and I will serve you for six years. You still pay for my food, you still give me shelter, but I'll give you six years of work. It doesn't sound like a deal at all. It sounds terrible. Why would you do that? Because that's kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is never to put someone else under your thumb, but to give them a chance to redeem themselves. And that's what this master was doing when he took those three servants in. He said, I'm going to give you a fresh start. I'm going to give you the ability to get back on your own two feet, wipe out the debt that you owe me so that you can have a fresh start. Read the story carefully and you notice that this master went above and beyond. He not only took them in, he gave them an investment that they could then do something with. He said, I'm giving you money for you to do something with. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm going to give you this fresh start and you can do something with it. Notice what happened to the guy with the five uh, bags of gold and the one with the two bags of gold. They didn't just keep the profit that they made. They also kept the investment. They kept not just the profit. They kept the investment. The master did not need to do that. A master does not need to give any of us not just whatever we have worked hard to earn, but also the grace that we didn't work at all to earn. When we start to see the story in that lens, well, I did anyway. I started to go, there's a real problem with this third servant. There's a real problem with him because he really needed to prove himself. He had this problem with not going to the other guys and learning from them. The master was away for years. We don't know how long. It's a long time. Maybe in the first years, I'm going to do things my way. You guys do things your way, and we see who's the better for it. 
two talent and five talent man start earning a little bit of profit and maybe he's like, oh, not enough. I'm going to stay where I'm at. Second year comes around. They make even more profit. It's like, oh, maybe I need to do something with the talent that is dug under the soil. Still, he does nothing about it. Third year, fourth year, that's starting to get close to doubling the investment. And he still stays firm in his decision. He, he doesn't ask them for it. Like, if he even started late, he could have still done something with it. But he chose to do nothing because like, I, I'm sticking to my guns. I've got a chip on my shoulder. I've got something to prove. If I get their help, then maybe I'm still that failure. Maybe I'm still the guy that lost everything and had to give himself over to be a slave. Maybe I'm that guy. And honest truth is, I identify with that. I've been that guy. I've been that guy that felt so insecure about my worth, my value, my ability to do things that I started to push people away and to say, no, 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 I need to do this by myself so that, so that when I finally make it, then you know that no one else helped. It was all me. That kind of thinking brought me into a place where every mistake that I made, I had to bear myself. Every failure was on my own shoulders. Every burden was mine to bear. Every time I fell, I didn't have anyone else to pick me up. I'm wondering whether there's some people in here that have that kind of mentality. They have that kind of sense of like, no, 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 no. You don't get to tell me what to do because this is my life and I'm doing this by myself. See, kingdom culture was never meant to be done in isolation. Kingdom culture was never meant to be two successes and one failure, each person doing their own thing. I think it was meant to be all three of you guys. Yeah, you got one, you got two, you got five, but maybe you can work together and make something out of it. I wouldn't be surprised if five talent man was helping two talent man double the investment. I wouldn't be surprised if they're talking. And you know what? When you know that you're all failures, why is there any competition? I'm not any better than you. I, I'm here in this position because I failed. <laughs> I don't think five talent man was like, I lost more money than you, so I'm better than you. I think it was like, no, I, I lost money, man. I don't know what I'm doing as well, but maybe we do it together. We can learn from one another. And I think our Christian life is exactly the same. Each and every one of us are in this room, not because you've got something to offer God, but because you failed miserably at doing life. <laughs> and I'm saying that because I'm one of those. I'm one of those people that know that my righteousness, if it's based on what I do, I'm failing absolutely miserably. But because God is a good master, I say, God, I'm coming to you. I've got nothing to offer you. So I'm giving you whatever I can. Will you take this? And God says, of course I will. You know what? Here's some gifts. Here's some talents. Here's a call. Here's a purpose. Here's meaning. Make something out of it. 
you still got worth in my eyes, and I'm just giving you a second chance. And when we each of us see it in that way, Beck, I'm struggling, man. I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? Yeah, I struggle with that too. We can be open and honest. You know, some people take this whole idea of fellowship as spending time together. Full stop. Proper fellowship in Christian God culture terms means that you're actually doing life together. Because I'm actually struggling. I'm open. I'm vulnerable. And it happens that it doesn't feel good when you have to do that. When you have to air your dirty laundry, so to speak. When you go, man, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing about this. I keep trying and I keep failing and I don't know what this is about. I don't know how to get past this. It's like, come, come to family. That's why Lyft operates the way that it does. Because we're family here. We are not judging. We're not like, I'm better than you. There's comparison stuff that's going on. None, none of that. It's, uh, I've been there. You can get past this. We can get past this. Next week, we start signing up for lift groups. If you're not in a, if you, well, none of us at the moment are because that's how it works. But lift groups are starting up for the term in just three weeks' time. Get into a lift group. Lift groups are not just a place for you to be happy, clappy, and to pretend that you're okay. Lift groups are a place for you to build relationship and say, hey, I'm not perfect, but hey, I'm doing something in my life. And I, I think when I first started in Kingdom, I was that one talent man. But I had people like Pastor Joel who came alongside my life and said, you, got, you can do something with that. I think I became a true talent man after a little while. And then I think after a little while more, with people coming alongside me, I had that two talents and I made it into four. I don't know if I made it to five yet. I'm happy with four. Nate, four. <laughs> and uh, I'm happy with, but at the same time, I'm also not happy enough. Yeah. I still got time. The master's not back yet. Yeah. I can do something with this. Yeah. I could become an eight talent man. Not because I get to show off that I'm eight talent man but because God's entrusted me with something. He's given me a fresh start. He's given me a new beginning, and I can do something with this. And how I do it is I do it in family. I do it with people helping me out, being open and vulnerable. Galatians 6 verse 2 says this, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's interesting because Christ came that we will no longer be under law but be under grace. So what is this talking about? He's talking about principles that we are meant to live by. Christ opens us up to being able to live out the kingdom culture, the best culture for our lives. And a part of that culture is bearing one another's burdens. It's not staying in your silo. The Bible doesn't say, stay in your silo, don't help anyone else, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It said, no, do life together. That person struggling said, come on, I'm here to help you out. And it says as well in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, instead speaking the truth in love. One thing I know about speaking the truth in love is that it still hurts like hell. When someone has to tell you that you're being a jerk, it still hurts. But guess what? Speaking of truth and love, we will grow 
to become in every respect the mature body of Him who's the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together. I love this bit, by every supporting ligament. I don't know why they needed to put those words in. Actually, I do know why. Because supporting one another is what the body does. Every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This morning, I don't know if we need to be laying on of hands and praying for every person. I reckon that this is a practical message that we are meant to live out. We're not meant to do life alone. My greatest regrets often have been because I have stayed in isolation. I have made decisions that hurt people because I was in isolation. I didn't know how to ask for help. So here's how you ask for help. Go to a person you trust. Go to a person that you've gotten to know. And say, help. It's pretty easy. It hurts. But it hurts all the stuff that needs to be hurt. It hurts my pride. It hurts my inflated sense of worth. It hurts my sense that I've got it all together. It hurts my sense of self-confidence. And it grows my, my sense of dependence on the body, my dependence on God's grace, my dependence on my identity in Christ. That if God loves me, that's all that I need. It grows those areas in my life. This morning maybe is the chance for you to practice that. Find someone to go talk to in the foyer. Grab a coffee. Make an appointment with someone. Someone that you look up to, that you trust, and say, you're doing better than I am. And I need some input. Fellowship is not just spending time with one another. You can spend two hours in the movies and know nothing about each other. Fellowship is about saying, I'm, I'm broken. I don't like it. I want to get beyond this. Can you help? It's about being open. It's about being vulnerable. This year, as we build family together, as you give yourself over to family, and maybe for you, this is not the right family for you, and that's totally cool. But find yourself a family. Don't go from church to church to church to church and saying you're doing God's will. No, 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 no. You're just floating around. And what stuff floats around the body that's not good is called cancer. You don't want that kind of stuff. You want to be planted, rooted in a good place where you receive support, where you receive the nourishment, where you receive the good stuff from God. And so that a whole body grows. There's a place in the body that is waiting for you. There's a place in the body that is waiting for you. I hope it's here because I love this family. I love this place. I love what we're trying to do here. I'm paid to say that though. So you work out <laughs> what you need to do. But seriously, think about it. Am I being isolated? When was the last time I could be honest with someone? When was the last time I was vulnerable? When was the last time I allowed someone to help me? When was the last time my pride was hurt? When was the last time I stood in awe of God's grace and I went, I'm just a failure. 
nothing more than a failure except for the investment that God has given to me. If we can get the band up this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know much about this God that I'm talking about, maybe for you your perspective of God was a bit like what I first described. This overbearing, oppressive character that comes into your life and tries to put you down. Maybe that's your perspective of Christ. Can I just reassure you that God is nothing like that? God's the one, God's the kind of master that you owe Him so much. He doesn't have to take you in. He could ask you to pay that price by yourself, knowing that there was no way you would ever be able to get there. But He still says, come. My grace I give to you. My peace, I leave with you. You don't have to worry that you're never going to be good enough. In fact, you know what? Here's purpose. Here's meaning. Here's something more than you could ever ask or imagine for. That I place into your hands. That's the kind of master that I serve. I've willingly stayed his slave because it's the best place to be in. Under God's covering, under God's grace. This morning, if you want to invite Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, this is going to lead you into a prayer. We're all going to say this prayer together. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not here to put you down at all. We're just simply here because of God's grace. And so we're going to say this prayer together because it's a good reminder, isn't it, of where we came from or where we started. So everyone, close your eyes, bow your heads, make this a private moment. Let's say this prayer together. Dear God, I know that I have sinned. I know I've fallen short. I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.